Thanks for listening, Unplugged Army. I'm Louis Unga, General Manager at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. We're proud to present Doug Franz Unplugged. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Four minutes. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Everything you need to know in sports that affects Maricopa County, the state of Arizona, and the world, you get in four minutes. We start things off in downtown Phoenix. Suns a winner over the Golden State Warriors, 119-116, but it shouldn't have been that close. Suns were up 13 with three minutes left. They were up 11 points with 90 seconds left and then had a total meltdown that allowed the Warriors to almost tie the game. Head coach Frank Vogel, what did you think about the comeback? Yeah, we got to stop doing that to ourselves. It's, it's, it's getting, getting old. Booker had 32.7 assists, only two turnovers, but he was not worried about his great performance. He was focused on the Draymond Green ejection when Green spun around and took a forearm to the side of the head of Yusuf Nurkic. What'd you think, Book? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, he, he wears his emotions, um, as every top competitor does, you know, got out of hand. Well, Nurkic still came to play. 17 points, 13 boards, and seven assists. He was fantastic. Suns have a rare home back-to-back. They take on the Brooklyn Nets tonight, 7 o'clock. Coyotes, well, they didn't score enough goals. They lose to Pittsburgh 4-2 yesterday. They were up 2-1, had a power play, maybe a chance to go up 3-1, and they gave up a bad shorthanded goal. Head coach Andre Turini. Well, we don't like the goal we gave on the hard power play. I think it's a lack of urgency. That's, that's the kind of thing kills you at the end of the day. It's a one-goal game, so that's too bad. So now the Coyotes have lost three in a row, then they won five in a row. Now they've turned around and lost four in a row. They at least have off until this weekend. They hopefully can ride Connor Ingram, who had 40 saves in the loss. Friday night at home, they take on the Sharks. Coordinator day. Special teams, offense, defense coordinators talking to the media. Defensive coordinator Nick Rollis had a lot of nice things to say about Brock Purdy, the Perry quarterback. Drew Petzing looked at playing a defensive divisional opponent and about the things that are still held secretive and how your familiarity with the opponent can help you and hurt you. It's a mix. You know, that's the game theory. They have familiarity with us, too, having played the previous game. So I think it's a mix of stuff you did well, stuff maybe you had up that you didn't get to, but also seeing, hey, what have they struggled with lately and making sure that you're putting together a plan that gives those guys the best chance for success. Lot to get to, however. Oh, before I go there, let me just tell you, the Arizona Cardinals take on the 49ers back at home coming up Sunday at 2 o'clock. A lot of NFL news, the two biggest pieces, Mahomes rejects the way he handled the end of the game and regrets it, that's kind of cool. And Tom Curran, Patriots insider of NBC Sports Boston, says the Patriots have already made the decision that Bill Belichick will not be the 2024 head coach. 
The Bulls are hosting the Denver Nuggets, so they decided to have Serbian Heritage Night in honor of the Joker. And then Jokic got ejected because the referee wanted the game to be about him. And news about arenas, the Washington Capitals and the Washington Wizards are moving to Alexandria, Virginia. OKC will get a new arena for the Thunder. And finally, a Florida woman went out to feed her chickens. And she didn't know that her chickens could do this. Hi, babies. Oh, goodness. Where y'all going? Where are you going? (laughs) You ready for some grubs? Let's go! (laughs) It's grub time! Um, what the fool? (gasps) She says, what the fool? Why are they all not moving? There's a hawk in the tree that has eaten a couple of their friends. What? What? So she didn't know chicken can freeze on the spot in when they sense danger. Babies? <laughs> Guys. <laughs> what the f- what is happening right now? Chickies. She thinks she speaks Guys. fluent chicken. <laughs> oh my god. What is Yes, those are live chickens. Chickens. Oh my God. I'm so glad I decided to record this. Chickens. (laughs) Why are y'all not? What is happening right now? Chickens. Those are live chickens frozen in time. But her fiancé is about ready to come out of the backyard. Chickies! And at the sound of the door... Why are y'all not moving? The chickens then scatter. Oh? This is... I cannot make this up. (laughs) This one literally has not stopped moving. (gasps) Or not, not... Has not moved at all. The foot is in the same place. Hello? Oh, my God. Look at that foot. Chickens. <laughs> chickens. I thought she would name them instead of just barking out Can chickens. I do something? And here comes the fiance. Oh, there we go. What the? <laughs> oh, my God. And there's a net in your way, chicken. Jackpot Unplugged Army, I feel like a true commander-in-chief to be able to give you such an unprecedented savings. Go to Unplugged at Whirlwind.com and check out the new membership club from Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Whirlwind Plus. Here's what you get. You sign up for a tee time anytime between now and five days from now, and you can save anywhere from a minimum of 30% up to 60% off plus 15% off at Civlik, the restaurant, and another 15% off in the pro shop. I'm telling you, you walk into the pro shop, get bowls, a shirt, and a hat, you walk over for happy hour with your wife, you might pay for your monthly membership right then and there. It's $34 a month, cancel anytime, or if you want to save even more, because that equals out to a little more than $400, You can get it for only $299 a year. Whirlwind Plus at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Go to unpluggedatwhirlwind.com 
and feel the wind. I'm Janelle, General Manager of Bell's Nashville Kitchen, a.k.a. The Whiskey Wizard. Bell's isn't your typical country bar with mediocre bar food. We are a scratch kitchen with chef-inspired dishes and the only place you can get the best sandwich in all of Arizona, our Nashville hot chicken sandwich. Now, the drinks. I spend days infusing our own whiskey creations. Come in for Whiskey Wednesdays to learn about and drink our famous whiskey selection. We have live music most days and all weekend as part of our honky-tonk brunch. Bell's Nashville Kitchen on Main Street in Old Town Scottsdale. You found home, down home. I was worried about you on that one, Jeff, for production. I thought you were taking too long. I was a little worried. But he said, let's rock and roll. And now we're here. Middle of the week. Starting to feel a little down. Push yourself through. You're a member of the Unplugged Army. Your family needs you. And you don't just have to come through. You want to come through. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Whenever it is that you've decided to make Doug Franz Unplugged a part of your day, my family greatly appreciates you. My name is Doug Franz, and you have found the only podcast and TV show in the world. Totally devoted to the coverage of the four major sports franchises of one great American city that drops on your phone each and every weekday morning. We also cover ASU, U of A, GCU, the Rattlers, the Rising, and the Merck. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. I, I mean that. Okay, I, I know I, I know it can be a little bit of a drag today. Uh, for me, it was 8 o'clock tip-off. Oh my gosh, do I hate 8 o'clock tip-offs of trying to be awake when the game ends at 10.30, then you've got to watch press conferences, and then you've got to time out the press conferences, and then send the email to Jeff Weir Production, then get to bed at about 12.45. I get it. I get it. But you know what? You got to feel it. You got to feel it today. Be ready to get going. And, uh, and I'm glad that you're here and a part of Doug Franz Unplugged. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. This is not fake enthusiasm. I, uh, I'm a little bummed about the poor performance of the Coyotes, but I'm pretty jacked up about everything Phoenix Suns related. I'm also jacked up about today. Huge appointment this morning. So I, uh, I always try to get fired up for that. Actually wore a collared shirt. Actually have pants on today. Just jeans, but have pants on. Pants are not on the ground. I mean, this is rare for me. Still have flip-flops, of course. Still have flip-flops. Heard through the rumor mill that there's, a, there's an entity in the world that is implementing a dress code. And I have a strange feeling they're thinking about me. I'll let that hang for right now. Did you hear about that, Jeff Weir Production? <laughs> there's a rumor going around that there's an entity in the world that is implementing a dress code, and I have the feeling that it's about me. You heard this, did you? That's why you're laughing. No, I haven't heard oh, this. Yes. Like, you talking about here? Uh, no. Uh, here is in this planet, this country, this state, this city? Yes. Uh-oh. As in this building, this room, this company? No. But maybe the company, you know, went along for the ride on it. We'll see. We'll see. There, there's that's, that's a little left hanging. We'll, we'll get to that after Christmas. Um, but that one is a little crazy. The, uh, by the way, I, I heard about this coming into work. And I, I got to tell you about something that's going on here. And um, I'm a little worried about it. 
I didn't think I would ever bring up Israel Hamas on Doug Franz Unplugged, but there's a heightened sense of of a, of a potential terrorist attack over the holidays because and, it, and it's on both sides because everybody's upset at somebody else's religion right now and the way some people choose to handle it is just bomb people so therefore we we have uh, a potential chance that that could come to our shores well having said that we are looking at potential travel dates between now and the end of march and with potential travel dates going on i am one i'll figure out our zone number so like if i'm in zone four zone six that means i'm not boarding the flight until about 20 minutes before the flight takes off therefore why be at the gate for before the 20 minute mark there's no reason. You're not going to get on the plane. My wife, on the other hand, she totally believes when you travel by plane that you need to get there, get to the airport three hours before. And therefore, yes, I said that. Then you check your bag or you don't check your bag. You walk patiently through security. You don't have to worry about how long somebody else takes going through security. And then you politely walk over to where you're seated. And then if there's a problem, the flight attendant can call you up and blah, 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 blah. She doesn't see any reason to have what she calls stress while flying. I'm the other way is I see no reason why I have to sit there. Now, our compromise is this. We get to the airport when she wants to get to the airport. And I don't get the look for how long I'm at the bar then. Hey, you you wanted to sit here. I'm going to be sitting at the bar this long. And, uh, oh, I didn't know they could serve seven beers in that amount of time. Wow. Good job, bartender. You know, I, I'm just there. And now I am not drunk and unruly on the flight like some nut jobs, but I sit at the bar and drink until my flight is basically taking off and then I get on the plane. That's, how, that's our compromise. Well, with one potential flight that we're looking at, I am thinking of I could probably work that day. Doug Franz Unplugged would end at 8 in the morning, then get to the airport right after the show, and I am completely confident that in two hours I could get from this studio to the gate while checking a bag like i i totally believe that in two hours get from i-17 to peoria get to the airport i don't we don't have to park a car i'll i'll uber down then get dropped off walk in check the bag get through security and get to the gate in two hours but when I heard about this, I'm not, I'm not telling Jennifer this. There's no reason to get worried about it. But unless there's a ceasefire soon, you could have elevated risk, which would mean it could take longer in security lines to get through. Now, the way I ballpark it from I-17 to Peoria, I'm thinking 25 minutes, 20 minutes maybe, but 25 minutes to be safe to get to the airport. I'm figuring it takes what? seven minutes 
to I'll, I'll say it takes about two minutes to get to the line once you get dropped off to get to the line to check a bag the check bag line that can be an adventure because they only have those kiosks nowadays and you never know how long it takes some yahoo to do their kiosk and things like that so that that could take i admit that could take forever so i'm gonna ballpark that as 30 minutes that alone will take 30 minutes so now I am at about a 55 minutes from the time I left after Doug Franz unplugged. And the flight leaves in about 65 minutes, and now I'm hitting security. There is no way it's going to take 65 minutes. Well, they're going to board the plane in 20. So there's just no way to me it's going to take 45 minutes to get through security. No way. And then I could be the guy running through the airport. I could be that guy. I don't think so. I'm very confident that this is going to work. But the risk is if it doesn't work, Jennifer has said, I will never speak again I will about the airport, and we will always be arriving at an airport three hours early. At least through the years, I've talked her down to get to the airport two hours early. That has, that has been a massive compromise on her part, to just accept getting to an airport two hours early. If I lose this bet, if I miss this flight, or if I cause her panic while running through the airport, (laughs) then she has said that it's over. We will always be at an airport three hours early. Now, here's the plan. The plan to me is I think I'm going to Uber, but allow them to drive on their own. You guys go with the girls. You guys go whenever you want. Whenever you want. Just show up at the airport and... I'll worry about checking the bag because that's what's got you stressed and you show up whenever you want and then you're already there. So you can already be on the plane. Go ahead. Now, if you want to take the burden of checking the bag yourself, hey, I like that plan too. Then I'll be, then I know I'll be on time, but whatever you want, whatever you want. Have you checked Uber prices from here to the airport? I have not. I know from surprise to the airport, it was right at a hundred dollars wow i know it's going to be expensive but here's the 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 problem is if i away from your beer at the airport (laughs) well he also there's there's always that issue that is a problem the problem for me is if i do it another way the only other way other than ubering is having when jennifer leaves for her to swing through and pick me up and if she picks me up now she's got to go at my pace and that's not that's not that's not good. That's not good. And then all four of them, if I'm wrong, like th- this is just between you and I, Jeff, because this can't happen. But if I'm wrong and we miss the flight, it's not the end. You know, if I miss the flight, she's mad at me forever, but we'll get over it. If if the four of us miss the flight. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. So I'd rather have them just go, go when they want, go do what you want. And I know eventually Jennifer will say, fine, I'll check the back. Fine, I'll check the back. And then, yes, I'm, a, I'm not a chivalric husband anymore because now she's lugging the one big bag. But, hey, I said I would do it. You're the one overruling me. You're the one making that decision. So that's not unchivalric of me for you to decide I want the bag. I want it with me. That's on you. I, I know I'm going to be fine. 
But then once that bag is lifted up and I don't have to stop in that line, there's no doubt I can get from here to the gate in two hours without a checked bag. No doubt. Now, see, we really need to keep an eye on this, too, because I'm not saying I want you to miss the flight or anything, but it sure would be a hell of a story <laughs> to tell when you come back. Oh. So that could get interesting. Hey, there's story time uh, for the day. Sound credits today. We have azcardinals.com to thank for uh, Nick Rollis, uh, a couple of Nick Rollis quotes, or no, one Nick Rollis quote and a Drew Petzing. Sun's PR department gave us the Devin Booker, uh, Yusuf Nurkic, and the Frank Vogel. And then 610 Sports in Kansas City does a weekly interview with Patrick Mahomes. And I found something that I thought was really interesting from Patrick Mahomes. Uh, if you're wondering, Jeff Weir Production, would you like to know who was the first ever morning talk show host on 610 Sports? Who was that? That would be me. Oh, really? In Kansas City. Would ah. you like to know who was the first ever talk show host to be demoted on 610 Sports? Was that you two? That would be me. <laughs> well, hey, before we get rolling, remember yesterday, your wonderful story, uh, the and finally story. Oh, yeah, yeah. I told you that it reminded me of a movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I've got a clip of that movie. It's called That's My Boy, and I think you'll laugh when you see this. Okay, okay. That just made me hungry. Check your pockets. (laughs) Oh! (laughs) A treasure! It's a chicken nugget. Come on, eat it. Oh, no, it's not. Come on, I'm telling you. And it reminded me of that movie because he had a nugget in his Yesterday's show was about a guy who had gator nuggets and stood out front uh, in front of like one of those uh, eatery porches, you know, fine dining areas where you've got a deck and he's throwing gator nuggets at people (laughs) while they're eating. Uh, I I have some bad news for the world. And and Jeff Weir Production, this this could hurt your feelings a little bit. Uh Uh-oh. Adam Sandler's not funny. Oh, gosh. He is... Too funny. Yeah, he's not funny. He is hilarious. No, it's it's now it's just he's just not that funny. No way, no way. Will Ferrell, not that funny. Not that funny. Vince Vaughn, funny. But Will, if it's a if it's a Will Ferrell movie, when Vince Vaughn pops in, that part's funny. The rest of the movie's not funny. A lot of people don't realize that. Time to advance. Harlem Knights airplane? That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> have you ever seen Airplane? I have, yes. Okay, I wanted to make sure. <laughs> I was a little worried because the age gap might have affected that. Mm-hmm. All right, let's roll. Doug's big one. Doug's big one today. I, I There's a topic that drives me absolutely crazy, and I've only heard one person argue in favor of this topic. So having an entire Doug's Big One based on one person, I admit to you is a pretty dumb Doug's Big One. But there's a gentleman by the name of Draymond Green who promotes the fact that Draymond Green belongs in the Hall of Fame. And I I am very nervous of that day happening because I think the Basketball Hall of Fame has turned into if you have a heartbeat and you ever got a rebound, you're in. I just think there are so many people that have lowered the bar on the Basketball Hall of Fame and it's way too easy to get into the Basketball Hall of Fame. And I know Draymond Green is a multiple-time champion. I know 
He has the skills to defend one through five. And I know he's a good passer. But Draymond Green, to me, is not a Hall of Famer. And one of the things is his low basketball IQ, which supposedly is one of the dumbest opinions I've ever had. And I mean, totally serious. If you talk to people that really know the game of basketball well, hearing somebody else say he's got a low basketball IQ would completely dismiss me as a qualified basketball person. You should know that as I'm giving this opinion. That when I say that, everybody else in basketball would say, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I bring it up, though, because for some reason, nobody wants to include the ignorant ejections and the antics that he does. Because they try to act like somehow he gets, he gets under everybody else's skin and causes ejections for everybody else. This man gets ejected more for what he does than other people get ejected for what he does. And to act like he's in control whatsoever to me is just ignorant. And the types of things that he does and tries to get away with and acts like he's not doing anything are so ridiculous that at what point does somebody in the intelligentsia of all media slash basketball say, you know what? This guy is now leading to more losing than he's leading to winning. And I don't understand why nobody within the Golden State Warriors is smart enough or tough enough to stand up to it. If you didn't see it last night, this is Draymond Green supposedly not doing anything or retaliating in a way that is justifiable because somebody has grabbed your hip. Here's the play last night. Fields has picked up his third foul. And now Green runs over Nurkic, and he'll be called for the foul. And they're going to take a look at this. But... Oh, oh, man. Well, that's going to be a flagrant. Yeah, for and now sure. they're going to just try to decide if they think it was excessive. It's going to be at least a flagrant one. Could be a two. Which would be an ejection. Boy, that is a swipe across the face. So in just a second, Jeff, for production, I'm going to ask you to play that again, but this time I'm going to ask you to do it with the volume off. But I'm glad you, I'm glad the volume was on the first time because I wanted you to hear the commentators on TNT. And I forgot to give them a sound credit, so thank you, TNT, for that. But the thing that is just so ridiculous to me, Draymond Green issued a statement after the game, not issued a statement, had a press conference. And he explained that, you know, I don't normally apologize, but, you know, I didn't mean to hit him in the face. Sorry for hitting him in the face. And he says, but listen, I'm trying to sell a call. So he he admits to flopping. He says, I'm trying to sell a call. I'm getting grabbed on the hip. And then I turn around and I use my hands in order to sell the call. I didn't mean to hit him. Okay, that's his line. He didn't mean to hit him. So when I have Jeff Weir Production play it again, if you're watching here on WTSMTV.com, make sure you look up in the upper right-hand portion of the screen at the top. And, and number one, it's hard to see it the first time at all. Okay, when they show it in regular motion, it's hard. But as you watch the replay... Watch his body turn around and keep an eye on his neck, his face. When I say his, I mean Draymond Green. Watch how he spots where Nurkic is and then swings the arm around. 
it's not like a throw your hands up in the air and get off me type of thing to sell the call. It's a spin, a look. He looks right at Nokic to figure out where he is, then swings the forearm into his face. All right, here you go. Again, hard to see it in live action. That was live. Well, obviously live's, you know, 12 hours later, but you get my point. It's a hard hit. Now watch the replay. Watch his face. Turns, sees him, looks, and then boom. And... And he thinks we're so stupid that we don't know what he's doing. Blake Griffin used to do this all the time, too. And it used to absolutely drive me crazy that they think they're getting... Dennis Rodman was like that. I I am not a fan of players like that at all. I'm not saying... I don't like... the Grant, I don't like Bill Lambeer anyway if you're as old as I am, okay? I'm not saying that that selling calls doesn't work. And I've seen enough people sell calls. I hate that. I hate flopping and all that. But when you are doing plays like that, when you know you're going to get ejected and you don't care or you're that stupid to think this is okay, that somehow this is going to create an advantage for your team. Or, or Draymond Green likes to say, hey, I needed to fire up my team by doing this. Your antics are old, Okay you're one of the most washed up players in the game right now. And it's weird because his ugly, horrific three point shooting is actually better than it has been in years. But Doug's big one today is looking at Draymond green. And I, I asked the commissioner, what does his existence do? That's good for the game of basketball. What is it? And if, I mean, there's gotta be a hammer dropped on him for this one not because it's against the Suns but because he's such a repeat offender when are you going to have the courage like you didn't have with Robert Sarver to drop a hammer am I comparing the on-court actions of of what was just done by Draymond Green to the ridiculous sexual harassment that was put on and and the belittling by Robert Sarver no I'm not comparing the two actions but I'm comparing the already shown gutlessness of the commissioner of the NBA in one time when a message needed to be sent. And I'm hoping he has the onions to then send a strong message right now and not allow something like this to happen. So a one-game, two-game suspension is not enough. It was not a punch or something like that. But to me, when you're in the flow of the game – and you sucker somebody like that, then try to act like you didn't do anything. And, and it's just, and then this is so repeated with Trayvon Green and, and the, your teammates. I mean, this team is struggling big time, struggling big time right now. And I don't feel bad for Golden State. They've had enough wins in their life. You know, go ahead and struggle. But I do look at it and say Draymond Green could be the glue. And in listening to his teammates, I mean, Steph Curry just came out and said, you know, it's tough. It's, it's tough for us to get over it. It's a pivotal part of the game. He's an important part of our defense, you know, and it's tough. In other words, he doesn't just say this has to stop. I don't know why Steph Curry doesn't show that level of leadership and just say this has to stop unless he's afraid there's going to be another teammate that gets punched by Draymond Green. Yeah. So now he's hitting other teammates, or he hits teammates last year and then opponents this year.
Now, let's get to the game. Suns a winner, 119-116, and it was – I don't even know how to feel about it because on the one hand, you can just say, man, they won. They won. And that's right now for a team with all of the injuries they have, they won. Grayson Allen's out. KD was out of this game. They won. Just be happy that they won. There is an element of that. And you beat a team that you know has the skill to go off at some point in the game or the whole game. So you won. I'm happy about that. But I I just don't understand the meltdowns at the end of games that have happened reasonably routinely. And the reason why that scares me is teams that think they have a birthright into the Western Conference Finals play like the Suns play at the end of games. Hey, we're just all trying to come together. Hey, we're injured. We're going to be able to turn it up in February or March. Everything will be fine. When you have that attitude during a regular season game, it doesn't come true. I don't mind the attitude when it becomes overcoming losses, that you've played hard, that you're working on your chemistry and you're developing defensive rotations. That's okay. I want that kind of attitude from the front office. I don't want the front office panicking and making a lot of moves, knowing this team will come together. But when you don't play an individual game with a sense of urgency and you don't have individual minutes at the end of the game where you stay focused, you've got a problem. And what was interesting is Frank Vogel very much agrees. As he was asked at the end of the game about getting the win versus the fact of how the team fell apart once again, 13-point lead with three minutes to go, an 11-point lead with 90 seconds left. But, Coach, you only won by three. Yeah, we got to stop it to ourselves. I mean, it's, it's, it's getting, getting old. Um, just walk to letting guys walk to the rim. Nobody's containing their basketball. Don't give up threes. But, I mean, they got four, if you count the last one, five layups, okay, with no resistance whatsoever. Okay, so we're not focused there. Press breaker was organized, but we had two very careless plays and we had two quick shots you know, uh, in, in possessions. So um, got to stop doing that to ourselves. That being said, we enjoy wins. It's a good-ass win. We lost uh, another guy out of our rotation, shorthanded. Shorthanded wins are great wins, and I was very proud of our guys competing and uh, doing enough to get the W. I want to get deeper into this, but I just received a tweet at Doug that I have to make a comment on. Uh, Jeff Weir Production, just so you know, I was proven right on my opinion on Adam Sandler. <laughs> By who? The tweet from General Stavo oh, no. that I just received says, I disagree. Adam Sandler is the GOAT. <laughs> well, I think that goes in my favor, right? Well, the comment does, but since it's from General Stavo, who doesn't know funny... <laughs> That proves me right, is the way I looked at it. I met General Stavo over the weekend at the Christmas party. Oh, yeah. And I I do think he knows comedy. General Stavo, however, I I can't promote him above general status, but he is clearly a five-star general because not only did he come to the second annual Unplugged Army holiday event, but he brought four people, including his daughter. He brought five people. I mean, it's one thing to come. It's another thing 
to bring people to, hey, you're coming to this with me. He brought five people. So, hey, winner, winner on uh, General Stavos. Doesn't make Adam Sandler funny, but great job. Um, so that's Vogel looking at it, and I, I really like that. I love the fact that he said that, of kind of pushing the narrative of, guys, this is a problem saying this stuff has to end, this stuff is getting old, of watching them fall apart at the end of the game. And I totally believe it's a case where we've won the game, we're going to sit back. And that's not a normal Devin Booker-led team. And no, I'm not getting on Devin Booker at all. Booker was amazing last night. 32.7 assists, four rebounds, officially listed with two turnovers. But one of the turnovers was, again, the NBA officials proving they don't have any clue what they're doing, in which uh, Booker threw a pass off of a member of the Golden State Warriors backcourt. It went out of bounds off of Golden State, and then Golden State got the ball because the refs are terrible in the NBA this year. It's, it's embarrassing how bad the officiating is. So they missed that call, so now Booker gets a second turnover. But So if we ignore the actual stat book and go by human beings that know the game, unlike the referees, he had seven assists, one turnover, plus the points. He was great, but it's clear this team – has mentally checks out when they think they've won the game. And I say that, okay, in case you didn't watch it because it was on late, I say that because of the amount of simple layups and wide open looks at the basket. Not just Steph Curry. The Golden State was getting in general. Um, horrible passes. Like embarrassing turnovers where how do you not see Chris Paul standing right there? Why are you throwing it to him? Are you acting like that didn't happen last year in practice? That you, I mean, it, it is a total lack of focus of I'm just trying to play out the end of the game so I can go home or so I can go to dinner. That's what that was at the end of the game that allowed the Warriors to get back in the game. And that's a lack of competitive fire, and that's a major problem. All right, the other one from, uh, from Frank Vogel that I, I want to, uh, to get to is Frank being asked specifically about Draymond Green's antics and the hit on Nurkic and then Vogel coming over to the floor because if you remember seeing the video, if you're not watching on WTSMTV.com, but you're listening, Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, tune in. Thank you either way. But it happened right in front of the Warriors bench. So that means Frank Vogel's right in front of all of the Golden State players and coaching staff when he walked over there to check on Nurkic. So he was asked, what did he think of the play? I see a replay just just looked like a reckless dangerous play you know and uh I'm sensitive to our guys getting hit on plays like that so i didn't like it refs did what i what they had to do the legal do what they what they have to do i i don't think it gets any more classy than that i thought that was a great response by him now going to the other side this is interesting this is i'm wondering how other people are going to take what Nurkic said. Nurkic is asked, what did he say about it? And and he almost goes beautifully biblical. I, know, <laughs> I was behind the play. <laughs> I don't think what's going on with him, I don't know. Personally, I feel like that brother needed help. I'm glad he not tried to choke me, but at the same time, and nothing to do with basketball, man. Like, 
I'm just out there trying to play basketball, you know, they're swinging. I think we saw that often, but um, hope he, you know, whatever he got in his life, get better. So. I told myself I was going to do this last night, and I forgot to. I wanted you, Jeff Weir Production, to hit play on that, run full speed into my studio, and then when we came back from the sound cut, I wanted you to start messing with the camera and the focus and be all over the place. <laughs> I was wondering what the heck was going on. Listen, I, I, I am the worst person in the world to make a comment about this. If I would ever be a cameraman, it would be horrible. It would be, you would get car sick just as a guy trying to watch it on TV. But if you're listening to the podcast right now, I don't know if the press conference started before the camera guy was ready. And God bless Suns PR for sending us the audio and the video. Uh, I, I'm, I'm glad with it. But at the same time, I'm laughing because if you didn't see it, all of a sudden they zoom out to a wide shot. Then they move the camera all over. Then they zoom in. Then it's out of focus. And then I don't know what happens. It takes literally 15 seconds for him to do something else. After he's zoomed in and it's out of focus, it just sits there. Like, I kind of get it if you keep tinkering until you get it. But he just stops doing anything for a while. And it just sits there out of focus. But the sound of saying brother needs to get a lot of help, that's, that's pretty strong. Now, Draymond Green was told that Nurkic said that, and Draymond Green said, we all need help. I appreciate him saying that, but none of us are perfect. We all need help. I, got, I do have to give Draymond Green that. He handled that one pretty well to say we all need help. But I'm hoping the NBA drops the hammer. On the same topic, different person, if you were watching that video of Nurkic, you might not have been able to tell as the camera bounced around, but... Devin Booker sitting right next to him. So now Booker gets asked about Draymond Green. Yeah, I mean, it's frustrating. Um, you know, we seem to put emphasis on, you know, not being a team that only learns through losses. Um, I think the good teams in this league, win or lose, you know, you, you still try to find ways to get better and, and stress the importance of little things like that. You know, that's just... You know, it's just urgency, attention, um, like things that we can all control. And, you know, we have too many talented guys in this room to be, you know, doing that for the third or fourth time. Um, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. You played the right cut. I had a horrible setup. <laughs> I forgot that Booker on that subject just kind of on the subject that I set up just kind of said, yeah, basically what Nurkic said and we've got to do this and, you know, it, blah, blah, blah. But that was a specific question about the meltdowns at the end of games because it has happened regularly. And I love the way Booker said that. It's attention to detail. It's focus. It's having a sense of urgency. And it's frustrating that it keeps happening. That's a level of, of leadership. And what you hope is it's, I'm assuming it's a bunch of young guys. Because of the injuries, the Suns are closing games with younger players. Where you have a good win uh, uh, before the hip injury, so this isn't the case, but an Akogi, as he had a, a, a little bit of an issue. And they're, they, they still continue to try to find guys. And I, I don't get it because here's the thing. 
if I'm on the Suns bench right now, there is so much playing time that's available on a potentially championship team. Do I think the Suns are going to win the championship? No, I don't. But I think they fall into the category of potentially a championship team. And what I sit in shock over is why anybody that's not Booker, KD, or Beal feels like we've locked up this win with 90 seconds left, I can coast. Because do you have any amount of A, personal pride, B, do you not know they've got Curry? But most importantly, what have you earned? I mean, to a man, after Booker, Beal, KD, and and of course Nurkic because of his size and his position, every one of those guys has not separated themselves from everybody else on the team. Okogi hit a lot of good shots in this game, but he's been struggling. Goodwin has been terrible on defense and turnovers, but he's been fantastic on offense. Um, Yuda is is something I can't figure out uh, to save my life. He's just kind of gangly, moves. Both him and, and, and Bol Bol are gangly, and they move in a goofy way. They don't seem like great athletes and I watch him play, and I'm wondering what are you what are you hoping to get out of that guy? Bates Diop does uh, Diop does really well for a little bit, and then falls off the face of the earth. These guys have been so up and down, and a hey, that's why they're bench players. But b the idea of actually letting up because you think the team is winning when you haven't earned jack yet as guaranteed playing time. That that's just dumb. That's bad basketball, bad professionalism. And this team needs a lot more from those guys because it was a runway if you didn't see the end of the game. The amount of easy layups for uh, everybody on the Warriors was just terrible. Terrible basketball. But like I said, hey, they won. And uh, Frank Vogel actually said that at the end. I'm, I'm happy with a win. I'm happy with a win. We got the win. Be happy with the win. But uh, that stuff's got to stop at the end of games. So, Suns, no way, uh, no break. Home back-to-back. They take on Brooklyn tonight. There is a chance you could see Booker, Beal, and KD all playing at the same time. That hasn't happened yet. However, I'm wondering if it's going to be KD and Book and not Beal. Because when you first come off of... Uh, the injured list, I'm kind of wondering if you don't have him play in the back end of a back-to-back, and that's a night of rest to just make sure that he recovers. Or maybe there's going to be even more of a a minutes restriction on Bradley Beal. But he did okay. He did okay. 16 points, three boards, uh, hit a couple good shots, getting into the flow. Uh, He did well. He did well. Hopefully the Suns can – Start a little something. Rebounding still a problem. 51-41. Golden State had the edge in rebounds, and that's especially without Draymond Green, that should have been a lot closer. The one stat that's insane in this game, and maybe the Suns played a lot better than I'm giving them credit for. Bench points was 80 to 30. 80. The Warriors bench scored 80 points. 
which kind of also goes to show you how bad the defense was from the Suns bench. And with how bad some of the starters played for Golden State, the the Warriors bench was left in a lot longer in this game. Uh, This is off the top of my head. I I didn't look it up for sure. But I I believe Clay Thompson went – Two of nine, two of eight, one of seven, some, somewhere in there. He was awful last night. And I mean, they were open looks and the shot was way off. So he got benched the rest of the game. So Steve Kerr wasn't trying to send a message. just like, you're not good enough to be out there right now. So the Warriors have problems. The Warriors have definite problems, but let's face it, it's December 13th. So they've got time to fix it. All right, coming up next. Got Coyotes and Cardinals to uh, to dive in really, really heavy to. And then there's actually some national news. I don't always talk national stuff, but there's some national sports news that you need to know about. It could be the end for a legend that's coming up. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass on WTSMTV.com. What I'm most proud of with 100 Mile Brewing is being in the city of Tempe, my alma mater. And I'm most proud of building community here. The city supports us and it's really nice to have a business in a city where you are appreciated, you are welcomed, and it's really becoming a hub for locals. We have a lot of locals that come in. We're uh, residents that live right around. Businesses have happy hours here. And that was my dream is actually to open up a brewery as a community. Breweries are like an extension of your living room. So people come in here solo. They come in here with their families. We have all generations. We had a 15-year-old little baby in here one time that I befriended. He's walking now. And and we had a 98-year-old birthday party in here. So it's just a welcoming spot for pretty much everybody. So if you were in the unplugged army, we need to be friends. There's thousands and thousands of you that I cannot wait to meet. So this is your spot. Doug's favorite beer. He likes a lot of them, but the favorite one is the A Mountain Amber Ale. So why don't you all come in? I invite you in. Ask for Sue. Ask for Todd. And we'll take really good care of you. 100 Mile Brewing Company. Fresh. It never gets old. I know it's a little bit difficult to understand this, but right now is a fantastic time to get a new air conditioner. Your AC unit has worked unbelievably hard in one of the hottest summers on record in the city of Phoenix. Well, right now, Parker & Sons has stocked up on air conditioners for the summer, and now the summer's over. So they're not nearly as expensive to get those units because they need to move them on. So you get that tremendous advantage on price. Now, if you're not sure if you need a new air conditioner, join the Parker family plan. We've been on the Parker family plan since about, oh, I don't know, a year or two after we moved here. And it's been fantastic. I totally believe they helped extend the life of our current unit by keeping it up to date with its warranty, warned us of pending doom, we admit. And eventually we got a new one from Parker and Sons and saved a lot of money because we were on the Parker family plan. Call 6022-REPAIR. That's 602, the number two. Then R-E-P-A-I-R for Parker and Sons. Rosati Sports Pub in Chandler. It's on Ray and McQueen. Sounds like a sports bar. What's the difference? You walk in and they actually have games on TV with the sound on. How many times do you walk into a supposed sports bar and they've got loud music on or somebody playing live or some kind of trivia game going on and you're there to watch the game? If you're like me, a simple guy, give me my pizza, give me my wings, give me my cold beer and make sure I can hear the Suns and D-backs, then you want Rosati Sports Pub and Chandler. All members of the Unplugged Army, welcome. Rosati Sports Pub, give me the game. I just went out there 
and talk to Izzy for a second, and I had an idea. And uh, Jeff Weir Production, this is probably not the time to do this, where I say my idea to you while everybody gets to hear it. But do you know from 10 to noon, every weekday right here on WTSMTV.com, what do we do from 10 to noon every weekday? iOS. iOS. Izzy on sports. So how about this idea? Izzy is also our kind of beat reporter who goes around to different sporting events, namely Suns and Mercury, but he also did a lot of, uh, did some ASU stuff as well. And he then does a package for you if you are a member of our on-demand group, which is the basic level. We have three levels, basic, live, and premium. And if you're on the basic level, you get all of our shows on demand, but you also get, as included in that price, all of our news hits. And Izzy goes to games and puts together a package. So it's the, to me, it's the perfect length. They're about three minutes long. And the reason why I say that's a perfect length, you're coming to get a more in-depth coverage of what happened during the Suns game. So you want that, but at the same time, you don't, you're not looking for something that's a 15-minute long breakdown, breakdown, breakdown. And, but you don't want just the 30 seconds you're going to get from regular television sports. So what do you do? Well, that's Izzy. Well, if we call it Izzy on sports for his show, how about, and I'm throwing this out to the Unplugged Army if you want to name it, when he does these hits, keep it under the same brand. So it's either Izzy on Sons or it's Izzy on the spot, or Izzy on location, or Izzy's out there. I, I don't know, but I, I want some kind of thing that it doesn't have to be the initials iOS, but I like it to be Izzy on because we've got Izzy on this, Izzy on that. So it's something along those lines. So if you think of it, tell me what you think the, uh, the uh, hits that we call them hits in the business, the hits that he does uh, after post game. I, I think we should have a title for that. And then there's like a category for you to be able to find at WTSMTV.com for all the things he goes to. It's a hard-working dude. Any ideas off the top of your head, Jeff Weir Production? Um, not off the top of my head, no. i sit down and think about it okay. for a minute. And by the way, shout out to Eric, our Week of Winners Grand Prize winner, who did not need to do anything, but exchanged a case of Mountain Dew, and today is a two-Mountain Dew day, exchanged a case of Mountain Dew for uh for his grand prize of the week of winners in which he won three wedges and he won a foursome of golf at whirlwind golf club at wild horse pass and he won lunch at civilic for four either before the round or after the round whenever he won it that's just that's fantastic you know what i haven't i haven't golfed at whirlwind in a while Oh, uh, put it on the calendar. Do I have a clubs are in the car today? Well, I got a big appointment early this morning, too. So I got to bust out of here pretty quick. All right, let's do uh, let's do quick coyotes and then spend a long time talking about the Cardinals. Coyotes, a loser last night, four to two. Krause had a goal and an assist. Inger was pretty good. Not great, but pretty good. 40 saves. It's asking an awful lot to have more than 40 saves. He's uh, of the four goals, three got past him. One of them was an empty netter at the end of the game. The I tell you the if you heard of, if you saw a four minute offense earlier today, that shorthanded goal was bad. 
bad. You're up two to one, got a chance to go up three one, and you give up a bad, bad shorty, and uh, and you end up losing the game. Then four to two. Uh, like I said, one of them was an empty netter, so you're down three two. But that that really really stunk so luckily though the blues lost and even fired their coach so now the coyotes are in the last wild card spot they're only a point up however on edmonton and st louis and they're two points up on calgary i'll get to calgary today in versus vegas i'm not looking forward to versus vegas today if you did not see what happened to me yesterday do you want you understand jeff for production what it means to cover right yes just about every team i told you would win i was right and they didn't cover <laughs> so frustrating oh my gosh so that drove me nuts all right let's get to cardinals that was pretty quick on the coyotes but when you they're just so up and down right now. Three game winning or three game losing streak, five game winning streak, four game losing streak. That's what they've done in their last twelve games, and yet the hardest competition was the five game winning streak. That shows you they're a little, you know, they're not staying focused against weaker teams. And I hate to say that about Pittsburgh because we think of the Penguins as this great team, but record wise, they're average. They're, they're nothing thrilling, and the Coyotes couldn't get it done. Uh, if we if we Look at the Cardinals this weekend. Um, the first one, I admit, it, it's not going to really be earth-shattering. But since it's local, I just think it's cool. Nick Rollis, if you could, Jeff Weir Production. Um, Nick Rollis is the defensive coordinator of the Arizona Cardinals. And he was just asked about Brock Purdy. And I think a lot of you know, but in case you don't, Brock Purdy, Perry High School. Nobody really wanted him in, in any of the huge schools. Goes to Iowa State. Plays there forever, really winning quarterback, but again, just like Division One doubted him, NFL doubted him. He, he's Mr. Irrelevant. I don't know how many draft picks were that year. And in case you don't know that, you can't, you can't just do the math of, wait, there's, there's seven rounds, there's 32 teams. So wouldn't that be somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, 222, uh, 224 picks? No, because there's compensatory picks. And there's punishments where one team loses a pick for something that they have done. And then on top of that, uh, the compensatory picks uh, range every year. Sometimes there's a lot of them. Sometimes there's not as many. So there's no way to know until you get closer to the draft just how many draft picks are there. But Mr. Irrelevant is the worst, is the last one. And it's almost bad to be Mr. Irrelevant. Even though you get a free trip to Disney, the problem is... If you're Mr. Irrelevant, you get forced to go to a team who may be good or bad for you. If you become an undrafted free agent, you choose where you go. And the money's about the same. If you're almost drafted, you still have a little bit of leverage to negotiate the salaries, but also, most importantly, go to where the system fits you, whatever, whoever you are. If you've got a good agent to find you the right system, and that'll give you the best opportunity to make the team. So Purdy goes to the 49ers, which with their offensive system, it was perfect for him, earns the starting job due to injuries to everybody else. And I mean, it's crazy to say this, but facts are facts, stats are stats. He's elite. I mean, nobody wants to use that magic word on Brock Purdy yet because he's still so young. 
And I realize it's a lot easier on him to be quarterback with Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and the and, and uh, the weapons that they have on that team. So uh, when you look how good they are, I understand you might say, well, name a quarterback who would struggle. Okay. But when Brock Purdy has just been doing this at Perry and he's been doing it at Iowa State and now he's doing it in the NFL, at some point it's about Brock Perry too, you know? And everybody else is wrong for doubting him. And that's why I say that, that he is so legit. So whenever you have an NFL defensive coordinator talking this long about a local guy, it's pretty cool to play it. Yeah, he's playing extremely efficient right now. Um, he processes things well. And so just like any opponent or any quarterback that you go against, you want to be able to affect that quarterback in many ways, whether that's his decision making, the pressure you get on him, um, all that plays a role. And, and he's you know playing at a really elite level right now. Um, so you have to try to do those things throughout the game to kind of throw him off. What does it tell you when, when the 49ers have thrown the fewest passes in the league and yet have the third most passing yards? Yeah, it means they're, they're playing really good. They're explosive, right? And, um, you know, maybe some of the reason that those, those pass numbers are down is they've had some big leads at the end of games and they're almost in four-minute offense relatively early. But it, it, what that tells you is that um, they're explosive, whether that's pushing the ball down the field or catch and run and it shows up all over the tape so yeah that's kind of what that story tells um just so you know coach we've already done the four minute offense so that's not really what it is uh i had whatever you whatever we get sound of somebody saying four minute offense at the nfl level we, we gotta highlight it we gotta highlight it he i love his point and i love the question from bobby mack great job bobby mack uh, bobby mack you might not know this but uh, you're coming on the show next week so welcome I haven't asked yet, but he's going to find out pretty soon. Um, The stat that he threw out was what does it tell you when you have the third fewest passing uh, attempts and yet you're leading the league in passing yardage? When When you think of that juxtaposition, that'll kind of make you go, wait, what? This team throws the ball almost less than anybody else in the league yet they have more yards and i love i love the answer and let's look at how detailed that answer was it's really good number one you've got weapons and just the simplicity of this statement compare it to the chiefs with all the drop passes the weapons you have are simply catching the ball when they have that few of drops and you have receivers as good as Ayuk, Samuel, and then, of course, the, the hands of McCaffrey and Kittle, you've got so many weapons that you're going to complete the pass more often than not unless it's a sack. So you've got that advantage of just getting those yards. Then you add to it the accuracy of the quarterback, which is Brock Purdy. Now you get the yards after the catch. But accuracy is twofold. It's also seeing the field and know where to put the ball so you get those yards after the catch. You know, an average quarterback would see that you're open and get you the ball, but maybe the pass isn't that accurate or it's more about, hey, I just have to get this out. So then you make the catch, but then you're immediately tackled. 
or the quarterback's not good and leads you into other hits. I think Tua Tungavailoa does that quite a bit. For as good of a quarterback as he could be, his receivers get hit an awful lot. And what Brock Purdy is a master at is not only seeing that you're open now, but where to put the ball so you continue to be open after the catch, and now you get yards after the catch. So number one, the accuracy of the quarterback, the ability for pre-snap read, post-snap validation, and simply the talented receivers that he has leads to a lot of yards per attempt. Now... You've got the lead, so the attempts stop. And what the four-minute offense truly is, the reason why I use that phrase, because I wanted four minutes to talk about everything from last night, but also it's a football term, and in case you're not sure what it means, you've heard of it. I'm sure you've heard of the phrase two-minute offense. That usually means you're losing or it's a close game at the end of the first half and you think you could score. So now get out of bounds. Stop the clock. Spike the ball. Do the things you have to do to quickly move the ball down the field. That's the two-minute offense. Well, four-minute offense is calm down. We're winning. And since we're winning, we want to eat clock. The catch is the other team knows this. So everybody in the barn knows we're going to try to run the football. But a good team can run a four-minute offense and get yards on the ground even when the other team knows we're going to run the football. If we are going to throw the football, which there's a risk when you throw it in a four-minute offense because incomplete passes stop the clock. Even if you fail at a play in the four-minute offense, you want 40 seconds going off the clock to take that opportunity away from the other team to have time to come back. So if we are going to throw it, it's got to be precise routes. It's got to be accurate passing. We can't have a sack because we don't want to lose yardage on top of it. So we've got to be able to complete the simple pass and keep the chains moving. First downs are the enemy of the opponent when the clock is on our side. So we can eat clock and eat yards. That's the four-minute offense. Do both at the same time. If you don't understand how the clock works in the NFL, it's really simple. Before, for the first 28 minutes of the first half, when you go out of bounds, the clock stops for just a second. And then once the referee spot the ball, you'll see white cap, the head referee, go like this. And that means restart the clock. And they try to restart the clock, uh, clock pretty quickly. After two minutes in the first, with two, after the two minute warning in the first half, every time you go out of bounds, the clock stops altogether until the ball gets snapped. It's the same rule in the second half, but the time moves up to the five-minute mark. So if you go out of bounds at 5.02, all right, the clock stops, but as soon as the ball gets spotted, it restarts, and it goes all the way through to the snap, irrelevant of when you snap it. However, if you step out of bounds three seconds later at 4.59, the clock stops, and it stays stopped until the next snap. Then it starts up again. So clock that's all the things that go into clock management. And when you look at what he's saying right there is that the 49ers in their four-minute offense, they don't have to throw very often because they've got a guy like Christian McCaffrey, but they've already got their passing yards that gave them the lead in the first place. So I love that follow-up from Bobby Mack, and I admit I did not know that stat. I mean, that's a great stat 
for how prolific this offense truly is. I kind of know it because on my fantasy team, I have Christian McCaffrey, and he's had one game this year where I would call it average, maybe even slightly above average, and almost every other game, the dude is phenomenal. And, And everybody knows how good McCaffrey is. The question has always been health. And this year, he's staying a lot more healthy. All right, this one, this one's a long one. I'm going to play you. It's about maybe about a minute and a half, two minutes. I don't even remember how long it was. It was originally three cuts that I had. So when I got ready to send the email last night to Jeff Weir Production, it was, I want this cut from Drew Petzing, offensive coordinator, about Kyler. I want this one about the offense and a little bit about Kyler. And then I want this one about Kyler. But they were all three back to back to back. And I just felt like, you know what, let's get it in context. So as you're listening... What we call levels in the business might be a little weird up and down. The Cardinals do a pretty good job of you want to turn down the microphone that picks up everybody when the coach is talking, but you want to turn it up to be able to hear the question. So sometimes you have it up too loud while the coach is talking and it's got a weird echo. Sometimes you have it down too low for the media and you don't hear the question, but they do a good job, but you'll have to listen pretty closely to the questions. And the first one is just simply about what are you seeing from Kyler Murray now that he's beyond his, what he has called his self-imposed preseason and getting into plays, doing the things that you want to see. I think he's done a really nice job of handling an extremely hard situation. I mean, to, to go through that rehab, you know, having torn my ACL myself, and I know we talked about that briefly, like that's not an easy task, just physically, to get yourself back to a position where you can play NFL football at the level he's capable of and the level he's put on tape, I think is really impressive. And then certainly while you're going through that process to learn a new language, to learn, you know, to integrate with new teammates, and then to jump on the field, you know, over less than a month ago and week, you know, whatever it was, 10 uh, or 11, I think that's a really tall task, and I think he's done a great job of handling it and embracing it and making the most out of it. Going back to the motion question, how much of that helps Kyler reveal coverage scheme? How much of that creates mismatches for you? It's a mix, and I think it's always going to be dictated based on kind of who you're playing and, and what you feel like you're getting the advantage from. Sometimes you want to know the look. Is it one high, two high? Is it man zone? How do we need to manufacture that based on the way we move guys in the formation? Other times it may be matchup based to say, hey, we want to get this guy off a of press. We want to make sure he's matched up on this corner. We want to try to take advantage of Trey in this location, little things like that. I think it's kind of finding that balance each week to make sure you're doing the things to be difficult to defend. Back to Kyle for a moment. There's a clip going around when you were on with Adam Schefter and said that in your mind, there's no doubt he's a franchise-type quarterback. Can you amplify on that for us? Yeah, I think that is what it is. Like, I would almost reiterate that statement, I guess. Not, probably not the answer you want, but I, he is. He's a franchise quarterback. I think just the way he carries himself, the way he plays the game, the way he leads, you know, just everything about the type of person and player he is warrants that. I think he's done a really nice job of embracing that and continuing to grow and improve, as we talked about, as we want everybody in that room to do. A lot to get to, uh, a lot to get to, and incredibly positive comments from Drew Petzing about Kyler Murray. And even though I think a lot of you know, I, I think Kyler Murray is average. I, I don't think he's a special, special athlete. Don't get me wrong at all about what he can do. But to me, elite quarterbacks are ones that can lead you to a Super Bowl. Not that they do every time or not that they, you know, there's some elite, like Dan Marino, okay? Elite quarterback, never won a Super Bowl. There's plenty of elite quarterbacks that never win Super Bowls. But can they do it? Yes, they can. 
And I don't think Kyler Murray is a guy that can go through a 17-game season, stay healthy, have guys that follow behind him, that believe in him as a leader, and do the things that a quarterback needs to do to be able to win uh, the biggest games. I don't, I don't think he's that type of person. So that's my opinion on it. We'll see if I get proven right or wrong over the course of his career. When you hear Drew Petzing talk, said the magic word in an Adam Schefter interview yesterday and then backed it up there when he was asked by Howard Balzer that I think this guy's a franchise quarterback and specifically mentioned how he's leading. Now, here's what's interesting from the things I've heard, just so you know. Um, Disastrous leader in the past. And it got worse over time in the Cliff Kingsbury era and was not held accountable by Cliff Kingsbury and took full advantage of that. Instead of being the type of player and and a true leader doesn't necessarily need to be held accountable. And Kyler wasn't that under Cliff. And I, I, you got to blame them both, in my opinion. Blame Kyler for not being the leader that you need to be to be an elite quarterback, but also... You, you got to blame Cliff Kingsbury because he didn't hold him to a standard that forced him to adjust, forced him to learn. That's why you can have Kyler Murray yelling, um, calm the F down in a game. Listen, coaches and players get into arguments all the time, all the time, okay? But when you have something like that and the head coach cowers to the quarterback like Cliff Kingsbury did, that showed you right then and there that they're who's the alpha male in that relationship and what in the world had Kyler done to that point in his life to be able to act like an alpha male to a head coach even though it's Cliff Kingsbury okay not an alpha male so I look at the past in through that prism and I can tell you I've talked to enough people I, I know about that past what's a little different about now is I heard a lot of positive things, a lot of positive things about Kyler Murray with the new group. Almost as if Kyler realized I probably didn't handle the past well and knows this is the time to completely shape up, completely turn things around and put in a lot of effort in order to do that. However, I'm now hearing rumblings again especially after how poor he's performed over the last couple games. And a lot of it's on him. So now what? This is a pivotal moment in his entire career. And it's interesting how Drew Petzing has chosen to handle it publicly. Because publicly, he, you can tell, he, he's either telling you the truth or he sees no reason to tell you what he really thinks. <laughs> because let's say he believes in everything he says. Okay good things might happen. Kyler Murray is the type of person that needs to know people around him believe in him, okay? However, if Petzing doesn't really believe it, it's going to be interesting the way other teams feel about that. Because on the one hand, you might say, well, you better say he's a franchise quarterback. How are you going to trade him? How are you going to get anything for him if you're not saying that? Well, once his name hits any trade rumors at all, If it does, and I'm saying if, I have heard nothing on this front. And I don't mean trade this year, I mean in the offseason. If we haven't heard anything like that from a trade rumor standpoint, as soon as his name gets out there, then people will realize, ah, obviously Petzing's full of crap. He's not a franchise quarterback because you would never trade a franchise quarterback. 
unless it's like a Deshaun Watson type of thing, who's never reestablished himself as a franchise quarterback. But while he was at Houston, there's no doubt he was a franchise quarterback. Obviously not off the field, but oh my gosh, on the field. I mean, there was uh, times where Houston had no talent and they're winning games because of him anyway. It was just fantastic performer. So these four games, right now, you would look at Kyler Murray and say it's incomplete. If you judge him in his entirety as a quarterback with the Arizona Cardinals, it's time to move on. If you judge him, but here's the problem with that. If you ju- who's the only person that can really judge him in his entirety? I would say uh, within the organization. I would say that's Michael Bidwell. And I don't want Michael Bidwell making football decisions. So the football people in the building, Monty Ossenford, Jonathan Gannon, and the head coach, or, or excuse me, and the offensive coordinator, they're the ones that's going to be able to look at that and say, is this guy the future? And then that becomes a two-pronged question. Is he not the future, so we should trade him? Or is he not the future, but we, because of the salary cap, we should give him the opportunity? And maybe what we do is we draft his replacement, but we let him actually battle it out in camp. And it's okay. It's okay if the other guy doesn't get the job. Kyler wins the job. And if Kyler does fantastic, we trade away the kid that we drafted. If Kyler wins a Super Bowl, proves that he's fantastic, it actually motivates him now that he's got the competition. Great. If he falls on his face, well, now you've already got the guy who can come in. It's an interesting thing. I said this to you yesterday, though. Nothing beats Kyler figuring it out. Nothing. The opportunity to build around Kyler and to take this draft capital that you have and be able to draft positions other than quarterback, especially while other people are trying to get a quarterback. In this draft, there's going to be potentially four quarterbacks taken in the top nine spots. I mean, just think about that. Only nine picks deep, 44% of them are quarterbacks. And the Cardinals drafting third would be sitting there in a beautiful position to draft Marvin Harrison Jr. Or they're going to say, we're so bad that we can even trade. You got to think of it like this. Trade Marvin Harrison Jr. Don't say trade the third pick. Just actually think trade Marvin Harrison Jr., depending on your projections. And pick up multiple picks because so many people are going to want to jump up. I mean, you could read when there's a co- so many quarterback needy teams and four top 10 quarterbacks. And I got to say, I see flaws in all four of them. So I don't see a guy that I, I got some more research to do. So please give me a little room if I change my mind. But I don't see anybody that I love. And I don't see anybody that I really hate and say, no, that's a terrible pick either. Like a couple drafts ago, like a long time ago, I went ballistic on the Jake Locker, Christian Ponder draft. I went ballistic on the Tim Tebow pick. Like there are quarterbacks that you watch in college football and you say, that guy can't play. What are you watching? And other draft Knicks and general managers will say, well, we need a quarterback. Great example of that, John Gruden. I think John Gruden is one of the greatest coaches of all time. 
nobody else thinks that. So I realize whenever I am on, uh, it's Coop's Island uh, on Hanging with Coop every Tuesday here on WTSMTV.com. He goes out on his island with an opinion nobody else has. I'm the only one with the opinion that John Gruden is one of the greatest coaches of all time. The problem with John Gruden is he's one of the worst personnel guys of all time. So when he took over in Tampa Bay personnel, he destroyed himself as head coach. The whole team fell apart. Then he went to the Raiders and just did not let Mike Mayock do the job of general manager and trumped him all the time on draft picks and never was able to bring in the talent to win because he's a terrible general manager. That's why. But he's a great coach. Great coach. And I see what he used to say, or I hear what he used to say when he was on ESPN's draft coverage. He would always talk about, we traded for Brett Favre. And we were told we're going to sink or swim with this guy. We had to get a quarterback, and then once you got a quarterback, you got to coach him up. Okay, I get that. That doesn't mean that guy can play. Your need for a quarterback doesn't make that guy good. And how many times have we seen NFL teams trade up for a Christian Ponder, trade up to be able to go get a Jake Locker, fall in love with a Blaine Gabbert? And there's just one problem. They can't play. It doesn't matter how hard you coach them up. If they're that bad in college, I realize there's lots of quarterbacks like a Brock Purdy where you see they can play in college. You see how good they are. And you kind of think, okay, he's good, but he's already reached his ceiling. The college game is as good as he's going to get. And you're just playing wrong and a Kurt Warner happens, a Brock Purdy happens because you misread the ceiling. That's hard. What I don't understand is guys that watch a quarterback in college that can't play and then think suddenly, I'm going to be able to coach them into a good quarterback at the NFL level. Just because they've got stats in college does not make them good. What do they see? What do they know? Okay. Now, as I'm ripping general managers for ones I got right, keep in mind, I liked Brock Purdy coming out of college to the point of like a fifth or a sixth round pick. Okay, so what do I know? Like, on the one hand, I did better than NFL general managers since he didn't get drafted until the seventh round. But as good as he is, I'm still dumb drafting him in the fifth or sixth round. It's like the Tom Brady argument. Are the Patriots brilliant because they drafted Brady in the sixth round? No, because if they knew how good he was, why didn't they draft him sooner than that? It's kind of the same thing with Brock Purdy. You know, if I if I knew what I was talking about, I'm drafting Purdy in the third or fourth round, not the seventh. And if it's just based on talent and wins, he's a first-round pick. Um, hopefully you don't mind me jumping around. I just got a lot of quarterback talk. And this is, this is the biggest moment, really, personnel decision-wise in the history of the Arizona Cardinals. I, I totally believe that. The difference between getting this decision of Kyler Murray's future right or wrong is an entire organizational shift for the future of the franchise. It's that big of a deal. Can he or can he not run this offense successfully? Right now, the answer is no. It's unfair, however, to just assume that won't change. But that's why these four games are vitally important. But then there's also the evaluation of everybody else. Is Hollywood Brown not really that good? How many times is he dropping passes or not making the special play that a special receiver would do? 
Rondale Moore, it's kind of not fair the way he was just totally misused by Cliff Kingsbury. But at the same time, have you really seen anything special? And I want to be fair on that one, again, since I was ripping general managers. I didn't want Rondale Moore as a first-round pick, but I loved him after the first round. I loved Rondale Moore coming out of Purdue. I thought he would be perfect for a lot of different offensive coordinators. I'd like to say it's not my fault because of the way Cliff used him. But if I was right, wouldn't Rondale Moore have done well in either his system or Drew's system? One or the other. Maybe I get to blame the O-line. Maybe I get to blame the, the, the rotation of quarterbacks due to Kyler's injury. Maybe I can make up other things to not blame myself. <laughs> but so far, let's face it, I'm wrong about Rondale Moore. But with Kyler, it's not his fault that he doesn't quite have the weapons that he needs. It's not his fault that the offensive line is not very good. Yet at the same time, he's been here long enough where how many times are we going to continue to say, well, it's not his fault, it's not his fault, it's not his fault. And then the question becomes, if, you, if he leaves, if you trade him or if you cut him, do you think he's going to go somewhere else and prove people like me wrong that think Kyler Murray overall not an average athlete? One of the greatest athletes in our country's history, really, and nobody wants to say that. But think about it. Top 10 pick in baseball, top 10 pick in football. Yet... If I'm wrong, and people like me are wrong that think he's average, he's going to go somebody else and torch the world. Just absolutely torch the world. And then people like me have to eat it. I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about that happening at all. That doesn't mean I'm dumping him, but right now, it's like, I got to see a lot more. Drew Petzing, I can't wait to see with the things he said. We'll know. We'll know in about three months. Is what he just said full of crap, or is it going well? The people I've talked to, they're frustrated with Kyler, but they're in no way, shape, or form thinking about a future without him. They're not thinking about that right now. Um, doesn't mean that won't change, but that's, that's not what they're thinking. So coming up this weekend, they take on the San Francisco 49ers. I think that's going to be a pretty ugly beatdown because of the fact that it's easy to coach up the 49ers and say, guys, we had a little bit of a weird swoon in the middle of the year and didn't play well. Now we're back. We're playing good football. And look at the good teams or what we thought were good teams that took the Cardinals lightly. Look how bad it looks for Dallas right now in a thick fight for home field advantage. And they've lost to the Cardinals. This is going to be part of our tiebreaker with Dallas. If the 49ers and Cowboys end up in a tiebreaker, one of the tiebreakers is your record against common opponents. That's going to be an enormous aspect of the tiebreaker, and you've already got a Cardinals win over Dallas. So for the 49ers, this is a big deal to be able to notch that win. You might think, it's just the Cardinals, what does it matter? But you've got that added incentive of the tiebreaker in case you end up in a tie with Dallas. And... You can't say it enough with Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh Steelers sitting at 7-4, and four, the chance to go 9-4 and four with two pathetic teams in five days, and they lose to the Cardinals Patriots. So they took the Cardinals like they were a joke, and the Cardinals punched them in the face for it. And so now if you are Kyle Shanahan, you're able to pretty much get the attention of your guys. That if you do your job and you play your game, that team doesn't have a chance. But if you screw around and you're not taking this game seriously, 
then what's going to happen is you're going to do exactly what the Cowboys did and exactly what the Steelers did, and then we're left licking our wounds from a winnable game. So it's easy motivation, easy conversation about it because the Cardinals have proven they can beat unfocused teams. But they're nowhere near a match for the 49ers if the 49ers stay focused and play well. And that's going to be their message. So I, I think this is going to be difficult. It'll be really interesting to see if Kyler uses his legs a lot more. With how good that pass rush is for San Francisco, how deep that team is in the front seven, Kyler's got to be able to move. Kyler's got to have designed runs, designed rollouts where he's choosing throw or pass as he's on the move. This is a game where you're going to really study Petsing's creativity and study Kyler Murray if they're trying to win it. I still sometimes wonder if they are calling plays that test Kyler's mind full well knowing it's a more difficult situation for him to succeed and not use his legs. But they want to see, hey, can you prove that you can run this offense? Are you going to see what their defense is doing and win with your brain and arm? Or do you always have to win with your legs? Or if, to me, it's kind of more like, why can't you design the offense around his legs and he's being tested on those things at the same time? And, and, and more choice routes, things like that. We'll see what happens. I'm, this is a great fulcrum moment in, in the future of the Arizona Cardinals is, is coming up this weekend. All right, coming up next, I've got uh, some national stuff that you might not have seen that's really interesting that's happening in D.C., it's happening in OKC, and a legend, two legends might go into forced retirement in the NFL or play out the string with something else. I'll explain next. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass on WTSMTV.com. Burrito Express started with my father about... 25 years ago, he got laid off and decided that he needed to do something to provide for his family. My brother and I were older teens, 17, 18 year old, and I'm gonna do a trial out of my house. So literally we decided we're gonna start out of his house. So we delivered uh, menus in a square mile area, literally started delivering burritos out of our home in Mesa, Arizona. And after about a month, he said, let's do this. Went and found his first location. And believe it or not, that's how it started. We started with one location back in 1995. Now we're where we are now it's big it's juicy it's meaty get your burrito at burrito express if you're having a hangover a bad day even a good day still get your burrito at burrito express it will make you feel better this is a interesting little tidbit if you're a hardcore Cardinals fan. I, I follow a Twitter handle called Old Time Football and they just put out that today in 1987 today December 13th, 1987 the last Cardinals home game at Old Bush Stadium. Yeah, I didn't know that. 
Interesting. I knew their first season here. I knew they moved to end of 87, first season here's 88. But I, I did not know that uh, this would have been that, fir- that, last, uh, that last home game at, uh, at Bush. So there you go, Cardinals fans. Think about, uh, think about that. And then all the years we've had to celebrate the Bidwell family uh, ever since. How wonderful. The national news that you need to know, I don't normally talk politics here, but th- there's one political subject that just drives me crazy. And it is the politicians that railroad against billionaire owners for wanting government subsidies, tax breaks, citizens paying for arenas. And then turn around and act blindsided when it doesn't work out. Just going crazy. Now, I admit the politics of Washington, D.C. have to be very difficult. I don't know if you know this, but the District of Columbia is a federally owned area, and therefore, the money that gets spent actually has to be agreed to by Congress, okay? But the citizens have rights to. It's kind of a weird setup. So the uh, Washington Capitals and Washington Wizards are owned by the same guy, they play in a building that's in the Chinatown section of, of Washington, D.C. And he's been asking for money for renovations and says he needs $600 million to do what he needs to do. You and I can debate till we're blue in the face on whether or not they should spend it, okay? That's, you have your opinion, I have my opinion. There's no way I'm going to try to change your opinion. I am one that, depending on the, the actual contract, depending on the situation, I'm genuinely in favor of that. I do think sports teams have an economic impact. I do think you can make money running arenas and stadiums if you are a city, state, entity. But I also care about what does the actual deal say. I don't say this to get attention but because it's like the dumbest line in politics, but John Kerry once famously said, I voted for it before I voted against it. <laughs> and boy, was, did that make him look stupid. <laughs> and Bush hilariously turned that into a video and called him, or a commercial and called him a flip-flopper. But the point of it was, I actually read the bill. I actually know what's in it. This was a good bill. So I voted for it for law. And then it became a bad bill because people put a bunch of uh, write-ons on it. And then I didn't want it anymore. And that's what he meant, but he said he was such a bad speaker. It's not what he said. I look at the Phoenix Suns. I remember when the Phoenix Suns original deal came up and it went to the Phoenix City Council and I was totally in favor of taxing, spending more money in tax dollars to renovate the arena. And a lot of people hated that. Like, why would you help Robert Sarver? My opinion was the arena is already built. It's already owned by the city and therefore you're the landlord and if you have like tax dollars and you are you know if your landlord has problems with your water it's his job to fix it not yours and it's the same thing here now there's the old argument you could have just sold the building to robert sarver for a dollar and backed out yeah but the sons are actually good at running an arena they they're in charge of that arena they do a good job running the arena the city makes money i was in favor of the city paying for it Well, this mayor and the Washington, D.C. government have been arguing against doing this, and they keep playing hardball with the Washington owner. So the Washington owner yesterday announced they're moving to Alexandria, which is a city in the Washington, D.C. Like, it's it's a suburb. It's it's not in Washington, D.C., but oh my gosh, it's right there on top of it. But it's in Virginia. 
So now Virginia's going to get those tax dollars. Well, as soon as it was announced, suddenly the Washington mayor is acting like he's all bent out of shape and, and said, we just passed this. We're passing this today. Today we're passing a renovation plan for $500 million. Well, number one, the cap said they needed 600 And you now say, well, we're getting this for 500 See what I mean? Stand your ground. It's like these guys are so scared to be the politician that lost the team. But they don't want to be the politician that spent too much to keep the team. So this MO, Oakland did the same thing. Argue, 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 bicker, 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 not do anything. And then act like you're blindsided and the, uh, and the team has been terrible to you when they leave. Do it. I mean, have some onions and go one way or the other. You believe it's okay get it done or believe it's not okay and quit acting like you're offended when they left it's okay stand your ground go to the voters and say i wasn't going to spend this money and then let the voters decide whether or not they agree with your decision it's it's so simple and i just i laughed at that okc uh, approved a one percent sales tax they're going to get a new arena and lastly, and I'll bring this up with Steve McCollum of, of the main event, because this is a, a, a legend that it's going to be a weird situation of what happens next. There's a writer named Tom Curran for NBC Sports Boston, and he is reporting that after the Patriots returned from Europe and their embarrassing game in Europe, that management, namely the Kraft family, made the decision then that this is Bill Belichick's last year. Not that he doesn't deserve it, but at the same time, oh my gosh, it's Bill Belichick. So uh, Steve McCollum is coming up from 8 to 10 every weekday morning here on WTSMTV.com. We like to spend a couple minutes with him. Uh, I, I ask you, are you a believer in the report? Are you oh, thinking yeah. that he's, he's going to retire and be done? Are you thinking he's going to walk right into the Carolina Panthers job? What do you think the future of Bill <laughs> if, Belichick If he is? goes anywhere, it's going to be the Chargers. Uh, oh, that's, yeah, because well, you've got Herbert? Oh, you got your stack there. I mean, he's a smart enough man to know good point, that uh, good point. you have a good quarterback. You can pretty much do anything at that point. And boy, point. do the Chargers need to do whatever they can to get attention in that market. <laughs> right? That's a good uh, point. But uh, I don't know at that age, though. I, could, I don't know if you do if you do leave and then start over again you know a lot of coaches that do that fail uh you know jimmy johnson for once right yeah yeah, yeah. um so i don't know if you do that uh but i mean i could see him i could see him maybe doing that and that what a better place to retire than you know than the la market you know one of the greatest stats that no one's ever truly been able to figure out is how he is depending on how you feel about tom brady the greatest coach in the history of the game and all of his assistants are some of the worst head coaches in the history of the game. Yeah. I wonder if he tries to slightly change that narrative and takes over as like president general manager. He, he's a personnel guy. But then hire one of his longtime yeah. assistants to prove yeah. when we're together, that guy can be the head coach. I, I, uh, I even think Bill Belichick thinks his uh, assistants suck. So, <laughs> uh, you know, he's not a dumb man. But you know what? He's a personnel guy. And, you know, there's a general manager above him, but he makes all those decisions. right. right. Uh, and he's able to put that. Now he struggled with the quarterback since Tom Brady left, but the rest of the teams, what it always was when Brady was there. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I believe the reports. I said it in the offseason. What threw me off, I said this was going to be uh, Belichick's last year in the Patriots. What threw me off was they gave him an extension when that report came out. And I was like, what? Yeah. And then part of me was like, well, we haven't seen the language of that extension. Uh, so it's easy to say, hey, we'll take care of you, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but there's language to 
get out of it. You know, you can move up to a personnel side, whatever the situation is. Uh, but I firmly believe the Patriots need a voice change. Yeah, I think the, the I, of course, you're not going to be shocked by this. I have not read the contract. But I, I, have, I have read a report recently that says, exactly to your point, there's no language to get out of paying him for 2024. Yes. But it's not hard to break at all after 2024. So that doesn't mean you don't fire him now, but you, you yeah. fire him now, you gotta, sure. you're on the hook totally for next year. But it's not like it's really clunky after that. I mean, how great would that be? Uh, they let Gronk out of his contract to go to Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, they've, they've made Robert Kraft has made those decisions before. And doesn't that just cement his standard even more? If he goes, you know what? It's not working out here, but we want to see you be successful. You know, go to the Chargers yeah. and coach them for a year or two. Get them and see what you can do with them uh, for a few years. And the Chargers don't need a lot of personnel. They need somebody that can wrangle it in and put an offense together for them. They have a lot of talent on that team. And, uh, you know, go down there and, and uh, turn that team around and see what you can do. I could see Robert Kraft doing that also. It's interesting you say that, that Belichick's a good personnel guy. I, I don't have an opinion on that because yeah. you can't win six Super Bowls and not know what you're doing. But at the same time, man, the draft picks of the last, like the last two years of Brady and then since then have all done so poorly that I, that, that's why I'm kind of more – what what he does? I don't, I don't even have an argumentative opinion. I'm just kind of like, okay, yeah. whatever anybody says. But what he does is, you have to be a good personnel guy because he goes out there and he gets. I, I call it like a money ball, right? Where the A's, where they go take yeah, over yeah. the hill guys or whatever, they bring them in and they get them to perform above their levels. Yeah, that's where he's a good personnel guy. It's so, interesting because I would give him credit as a coach. Yeah. I would say you're such a good coach that you take well, average personnel and do special things. It's a with. combination of both, though, yeah, right? Yeah, okay. Because you have to get to do those types of moves, you have to get the right guys to do those moves. If you miss on those guys, you're up the creek, right? Yeah, yeah. And if you look at this Patriots team, the problem is quarterback. Everything else is the same, it is strictly quarterback. They cannot complete passes, uh, they cannot read a defense. And I do think that's a failure because I don't think Mac Jones is terrible and he's regressed. And that tells me that could be a coaching issue. Yeah. 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 Uh, for that. But at the same time, you got to have the right person to work with Belichick. And maybe Mac Jones isn't that guy. I got something to, uh, to play for you because I kind of railroaded Patrick Mahomes on Monday, something I've never done. But I just thought he was so yeah. out of line. Whenever you recant, back up, you know, I want to spend just as much time talking about that. So I don't know if you got to hear this yesterday, yep. but Jeff, for your production, could you give me the Patrick Mahomes sound? This is from 610 Sports in Kansas City. Yeah, his walk back. Yes. Uh, uh, thank you, uh, guys. Uh, I want to go out uh, there and put everything <laughs> on the line to win. Um, but uh, obviously can't, can't do that. I mean, can't be that way towards officials or really anybody in, in life. Um, so... I uh, probably regret acting like that. Um, but more than anything, I mean, I, was re I regretted the way I, I acted towards uh, Josh after the game because he had nothing, nothing to do with it. And um, so I, I was, uh, I, I was still hot and emotional. Um, but you can't do that, man. It's not a great example uh, and, uh, for for kids watching the game. So uh, that, that I was more upset about that than I was about me on the sideline. So my question to you is, other than your Patrick Mahomes voice, yeah, is uh, that uh, why is it so hard to apologize? That was so good. Yeah. And how many times have you heard guys just butcher that? He says, I regret this. It's not a good example. Yeah. You can't act like that. And then he, to even say to people in life yeah. and then to admit, I really was, was rude to Josh. He doesn't need to hear any of that. I, I just love that. So I wanted to walk back 
a little bit. Not what no, I said at the time, but yeah. at the same time, give him some credit. Uh, well, first of all, my voice, my Patrick Mahomes voice. Uh, well, it wasn't playing audio, so I figured I'd fill yeah, it you, in. You know, I, I, but my voice wasn't any worse than his. So let's be honest. <laughs> no, about no, it. No. Let's be honest about that. Uh, but then, second of all, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, it shows you. Patrick Mahomes did a lot of damage to and and Andy Reid did a lot of damage to their psyche to a lot of people out there uh, and gave the haters an excuse to go after them a little bit by acting that way. And I think they realize that. And it just shows you how good of people they are, not just on the football field and everything that they are willing to say, hey, I lost my cool. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, And, uh, you know, and you heard what he said there. And I think it's fantastic. I totally agree. What's coming up on the main event? Uh, Lots of stuff. We're ranking uh, quarterbacks uh, in the league this year good luck doing that uh the way quarterbacks are dropping right now uh and uh i mean when you you know you, you at some point you got to put browning as a top 10 quarterback with the with the uh, way quarterbacks are playing right now it's awful out there this the nfl's you know doing itself a disservice with um i also have a baseball stat uh i wish i had it loaded up right now uh, i found i was doing some research last night on baseball uh and uh with no salary cap and it goes to your point oh okay, okay. i'm interested in that the main event coming up, 8 to 10. Following Steve McCollum and Dale Hellestray, it'll be iOS, Izzy on Sports. Isaiah Jackson Jr. will give you his take on things that are hot. He had, and if you missed his show yesterday, he had a great interview yesterday. So if you are a basic member, you can always watch the shows on demand and go to WTSMTV.com to be able to uh, to watch those. Uh, tonight, well, first of all, I, I got to go through my embarrassments yesterday. Oh, my goodness. Here's what happened to me yesterday. I went one and four. Bad day. Bad day at the office. Even worse is how it ended up. Blues money line over Detroit. Red Wings win the game six to four last night. And... They're the ones that were on the back end of the back-to-back. The game is 4-3 St. Louis. 48 seconds into the third, they give up a goal. Then they give up a goal to tie. Then they give up another one. And then they give up an empty netter at the end of the third. They win the third period 3 to nothing. So I got a one-goal lead. I got the Blues on the money line. Just show up. Just show up in the third. I get that game right. But no, they don't show up. Red Wings win. I take Steve McCollum's Vegas Golden Knights against Calgary, who's on the back end of a back-to-back. Not a tough trip, but not an easy trip. And Vegas blows that lead, allows Calgary to tie it. Vegas wins in overtime, but I don't win. Because I had them on the puck line covering the minus one and a half. They win by a goal. So Vegas wins. I don't. I had Boston at minus nine and a half over Cleveland. Backdoor cover. Boston puts their head in the sand at the end of the game. Cleveland comes back. Boston wins, but they win by seven. So for them, it's comfortable. Not for me. Not for me. 
I know every every gambling loser has their sob story. And then I had the Lakers on the money line over Dallas. They start off terrible. The Lakers come storming back, take a lead, and then just fall on their face at the end of the game and can't stop Luka. And they lose by two, 127-125. I did get one game right. I said Denver would beat Chicago and cover the seven and a half with the Bulls coming on the back end of a back-to-back. And I was so scared to death on that game because if you didn't see it, <laughs> it, it, was, it was Serbian night. Serbian Heritage Night in Chicago. The Bulls were celebrating Jokic. Or I don't say wait. It's either Joker or Jokic. It's not Jokic. So they're celebrating Jokic. He gets ejected by an egotistical ref. And now I'm thinking, now I'm going to lose this game too. Luckily, the Nuggets held on to win. So I go one and four yesterday. That was it. One and four. Had a terrible night. So now... I'm kind of backing off a little bit. You know, know your limits. Know when you've screwed up. Know when you got to build back up. So I've calmed down a little bit, and I'm only playing one game, and that is the Penguins just came up on a uh, on the back end of a back-to-back, and they had to leave Pittsburgh after facing the Coyotes and go up and play the uh, the Canadiens. The Canadiens are not good, but I'm getting a goal and a half when the other team had to fly through and go through customs on the back end of a back-to-back, I'm going to take that. So I'm going to take Montreal plus the one and a half. You might want to look at Montreal on the money line because you get some really good positive juice plus 130 on that. I'm taking the bad juice because Montreal's not good enough for me to stick my neck out for. The bad juice, in order to get the plus one and a half, you've got to uh, give up one, minus 190. Which for me, I, I don't really care about the bad juice because it's five bucks. When it's five bucks, you know, hey, so I, did I get it right? So I won money? Great. If you're like a real life gambler and you're betting $500, $1,000 on this, you bet $1,000 or then you're, you're kind of hurt because you lose that money, but it's not a sale price because if you win, you ain't winning $1,000 back, right? You're, you're winning somewhere... I'm going to, I don't know if I even remotely have the math right here, but I'm guessing you're going to win about $600. You know, like, like that, that's not worth it. I'm not going to spend a thousand to try to win 600. Okay. But when it's five bucks, I don't care. I'll do it. So I'm going to take Montreal plus the one and a half uh, at home versus Pittsburgh. And that's the only game I'm touching. A couple things today on the way out. Please try to do me a favor if you can. What are you doing Saturday? This is too late in the week for me to tell you about it, so it's not a sanctioned event at all. But can you get to 100 Mile Brewing Company on Saturday? Beer Friday, sponsored by 100 Mile Brewing Company and the A Mountain Amber Ale, is coming up this Friday. The next day is their one-year birthday, I just found out. So for a birthday, they're throwing themselves a birthday party, having a great time. It goes all day long, so it doesn't matter when you go. My family, I admit to you, we haven't decided are we going to try to go for lunch, are we going to try to go for dinner, are we going to try to go for happy hour. We don't know when we're going. But we'll be there at some point on Saturday if you want to get a beer. So if you're in the Unplugged Army and you really want to show a great new sponsor, a good time, kind of... 
give them a little juice from all of us. Say thank you for being a new sponsor. I'd love to see you out there if you could try to stop by on Saturday and celebrate their birthday with them. Go to UnpluggedWhirlwind.com to get the greatest Christmas present you could possibly get for your golfer or for yourself, in which you save a ton of money, sometimes even as high as 60% on your future tee times while you're a member. You can pay monthly or pay up front for 12 months. You also get a 15% discount at Civlik, the restaurant, and at the pro shop. Hungry for a breakfast burrito? The best one in the history of the world is at Burrito Express. You want a great country bar that's an actual fine restaurant that just happens to be a country bar well then you want bell's nashville kitchen in scottsdale and of course anything goes wrong with your heating cooling plumbing or electrical go to parker and sons call 6022 repair that's 602 the number two then r-e-p-a-i-r for parker and sons the main event's up next i'll see you tomorrow